Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. As most of you will know, we've just finished Te Reo Oti Wiki Māori this last week or Māori Language Week where we encouraged you to practice some Māori language each day of the week. Ka pai te mahi well done if you did that. We hope you enjoyed the challenge. The history of Māori Language Week goes back to 1972, when a small group of language champions presented a petition to Parliament from 30,000 New Zealanders, asking the government to teach Māori language in schools. Three years later saw the start of Māori Language Week, and 12 years after that, Māori was made an official language of New Zealand after the passing of the Māori Language Act in 1987. Of course, the significance of the renaissance of Aotearoa New Zealand's first language needs to be grounded in first understanding a much longer history. In fact, a couple of hundred years of history, which is sadly shrouded in some difficult controversy, lots of injustice, and knowledge that our broken human nature tends to lead us towards the outworking of greed and selfishness, as we have seen in our country. Most of you will know that I am a bit of a history buff, (laughs) but that's because I've learnt over time to deeply appreciate In fact, more and more as I have grown. In the words of perhaps activist Marcus Garvey, who once said, A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin and culture are like trees without roots. I guess I've learned to appreciate that a lot. That quote has some alignment to what we see as we approach Romans chapter 11 today. The same idea of having an understanding of a much longer history needs to be held in the forefront of our mind as we read the letter that Paul is writing to the early church in Rome. In verse 1 of chapter 11, Paul continues to allude to history, something he has done repeatedly throughout the first 10 chapters, where he places himself in this chapter, as a Jew in Israel's storied history. He says, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And then in verse 2, he references even further back to the words of Elijah that we read in 1 Kings chapter 19. And in verse 9, he quotes King David from Psalm 69. Paul is looking back to place what he is about to say and the roots of Israel's history. Hopefully, I'll be able to convince you of how profound this is and what it means to place our lives in the ongoing story of God's activity in the world today. Now, as we have seen over many months, the entire letter of Romans was written with the backdrop of some significant international geopolitical and religious 
changes that were happening for the nation of Israel. A nation to whom God told in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. While Paul is acknowledging his connection to this history in verse 1, he also continues to radically and controversially expand the reality of salvation being available to all people, including Gentiles, not just the Jews. Gentiles are, are non-Jews being available to all people through Christ by faith alone. That's been the story of Romans so far. In chapter 11, verses 1 to 24, we see Paul continuing to struggle with something we've seen him struggling with a lot in recent chapters. Why are the great majority of his own people, the Jews, rejecting what has been revealed to them time and time again when it comes to the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and everything that had been revealed to them over thousands of years. This is perhaps a similar question being asked by many people in the West today. A, challenging, a challenge facing our own nation. Why, based on everything we've seen over thousands of years, do people still reject the story of Christ, who is at work in our world through the Holy Spirit? Why do we, in many ways, still reject that? Or at least, why don't we fully participate in that story? Written 2,000 years ago, Paul's constant and ongoing references to the history and existence of the nation of Israel are intended to show that God has been and still is at work in ways that we can easily overlook. And this is a point I think we can still miss even 2,000 years on from where Paul leaves off. I want to give you a little history lesson about the nation of Israel. That helps me arrive at the big point I want to come to today. That has a practical application many of us could well embrace. The history lesson is found in the entirety of the letter to Romans. But I'll add some points from after that letter was written that are pertinent to this day. Because if you want some evidence of God's sovereignty in the face of world events, you really only need to look at the nation of Israel, which still exists today, even after thousands of years of persecution and ongoing desire of global forces to destroy and eliminate it. The reality is that it's never truly been destroyed. The God of Israel continues to show the world who really is in charge. And in my opinion, and, and I know that talking about Israel can be an interesting discussion, but I think the evidence speaks for itself. So, some history. Much of what scholars know about Israel's ancient history comes from the Hebrew Bible. According to history, Israel's origins can be traced back to Abraham, who was considered the father of both Judaism through his son Isaac and Islam through his son Ishmael. Abraham's descendants were enslaved by the Egyptians for hundreds of years. We read all this in the Old Testament. Before settling in Canaan, which is approximately the region of modern-day Israel. The word Israel comes from Abraham's grandson, Jacob, 
who was renamed Israel by God in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, in that famous scene where Jacob wrestles with a man who was God and says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. According to linguistic experts, Israel has various meanings. He struggles with God or God rules being some of the meanings with more popular support. King David then ruled the region around 1000 BC, and his son, who became King Solomon, is credited with building the first holy temple in ancient Jerusalem around 931 BC, when the area was divided into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Again, many of you know so many passages that refer to this. Around 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And in 568 BC, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple, which was replaced by a second temple about 516 BC. For the next several centuries, the land of modern-day Israel was conquered and ruled by various groups, including the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Arabs, the Fatimids, the Shiluk Turks, the Crusaders, Egyptians, the Mamelukes, the Islamists, and others. Of course, we read all of Israel's history in the Scriptures. But then we can move beyond the Scriptures into more recent times. Well, perhaps the last 1,500 years anyway. From 1517 to 1917 AD, what is today Israel, along with much of the Middle East, was ruled by the Ottoman Empire. But World War I dramatically altered the landscape in the Middle East. And in 1917, at the height of World War I, British Foreign Secretary Arthur James Balfour submitted a letter of intent supporting the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. The British government, our ancestors, many of us, hoped that this formal declaration, known thereafter as the Balfour Declaration, would encourage support for the Allies in World War I. When the Great War ended in 1918 with an Allied victory, the 400-year Ottoman Empire rule ended, and Great Britain took over control over what became known as Palestine, which is modern-day modern day Israel, Palestine, and Jordan. The Balfour Declaration and the British Mandate over Palestine were approved by the League of Nations in 1922, and the British controlled Palestine until Israel, in the years following the end of World War II, became an independent state. Since 1947, when that happened, conflict has continued to be the order of the day, centered around who is occupying areas of land like the Gaza Strip a piece of land located between Egypt and modern-day Israel, or, or the Golan Heights, a rocky plateau between Syria and modern-day Israel, or the West Bank, a territory that divides part of modern-day Israel and Jordan. These are all names that are familiar to us. They are forever in the news. War has generally been the order of the day since the Arab-Israeli War of 1948, when five Arab nations, Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon immediately invaded the region. And then we can look back at the Suez 
crisis in the 1956, the Six-Day War of 1967, the Yom Kippur War of 1973, the Lebanon War of 1982, the Palestinian Intifadas of 1987 and 2000, the Second Lebanon War of 2006, and the, the Hamas Wars of 2008, 2012, and 2014. What we see in the news today is the ongoing conflict over a piece of land that is about the size of Waikato here in New Zealand. I mean, honestly, it just doesn't make sense in a normal way of thinking. This complex history only makes sense when we stand back and see that the survival of the nation of Israel is a symbol of the survival of the kingdom of God. And that nothing can defeat the sovereignty of God. I mean, this history is just too profound to ignore. So when we look at Romans 11, we can see that Paul is reflecting upon the tragedy of his Jewish brothers and sisters missing the sovereignty and the presence of God in their lives. But at the same time, he's categorically saying that it's, it's not too late. There's still hope. And to the Gentiles who profoundly and powerfully share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, in verse 17, the olive root being Jesus, they are becoming an example to the Jews that salvation for all people is available through faith in Christ alone. I mean, Paul is talking specifically to Gentiles, to non-Jews. In verse 13 and 14, he writes, I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. He's urging these Gentiles to be the, the humble evangelists that Aidan encouraged us to be last week. The key verses in this first section of Romans 11 are verses 23 and 24, which say, And if they, the Jews, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, referring to the Gentiles here, and contrary to nature were grafted in to a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? These verses reflect Paul's heart for his own people. He's urging them to look at their history. Look at the promises that, that God gave to the nation of Israel. Look at how history has affirmed what God has promised. Look at the fulfillment of history. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at everything that demonstrates that God is faithful to what he says. It's not too late. Come back, he says, and experience the life that is available through Jesus. So what is this passage telling us? Here's what I think when we read verses 1 to 24 or Romans chapter 11 in its entirety slowly over and over again. Paul is placing his people, the Jews, into all of God's work in the world up to that point. God's plans prevail. God prevails. He could aptly repeat the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, who writes, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Clearly, the recipients of God's divine plan had forgotten the greatest things that they could ever know about God. As the psalmist continues in verses 30 to 32, As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. It sounds to me that Marcus Garvey took his inspiration from Paul in the quote that I used earlier. A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, culture are like trees without roots. Paul is saying to his people, discover your roots. Be grafted back in. No doubt he is thinking back to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Folks, can you hear the passion in Paul's plea? As we have seen over the course of this year, Paul himself was a a personal example of the transformation that comes through following Jesus, not just accepting Jesus, but following Jesus. Paul wants all people to know what he knows, that God's purposes will prevail despite challenges, despite opposition, despite things looking grim and hopeless in the natural. Just look at the history of a tiny piece of land in a sometimes inhospitable landscape to see that God can bring about the impossible over thousands of years. You know, my personal experience is that it's sometimes easy to celebrate the big aspects of God, the creation of the universe, God as sovereign in the big picture, God's protection of Israel over thousands of years. But it's sometimes not as easy to trust God in the little things, like the daily stresses that can make each day a challenge, or trusting that He really does have our individual lives in the palm of His hand. Paul's urging is that we would allow all of who we are, the big branches of our lives and the little branches of our lives, to be fully grafted into the olive tree so that as he says in verse 17, we can now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, Jesus. Isn't that just the most incredible life-giving picture? It's a picture that those reading this letter would have been very familiar with as olive trees were so prominent in the Middle East. And the idea of grafting into a healthy plant would have been a widely known and used agricultural practice. We might need to stretch our imagination a little to fully grasp that image. But I think we can get the idea. If Jesus is is the root of a healthy olive tree, we would want to be grafted into that. So what do you need to graft into Jesus today? What do you need to give to him today? so that you can worship Him in the big things and in the little things. 
Paul also continues with the challenge that Aidan shared with us last week. Who is it that you might need to reach out to and lovingly and sensitively encourage to be grafted back into the olive tree? So, you know what? It's a double challenge. How is our grafting going? And how are we encouraging the grafting in of others? God's big purposes prevail. And we are part of God's ongoing work in the world. This little tiny nation in the Middle East. There's one part of the the picture and the evidence of God's sovereignty. Let's look out for what he's doing in our lives. And let's graft into that and flourish in what he is calling us to do in his world today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these scriptures. Some of the imagery used is rich and deep. It's pertinent to the Middle East. And yet we can translate that into our our own lives. This concept of being grafted into a, a healthy olive tree or a healthy vine. And the olive tree and the vine representing you. Father, we are often separated from you. And I pray today that we would recognize those, those branches that we perhaps have deliberately cut off from you, those parts of our lives that we try to keep separate from you. Father, speak to us today about what we need to graft into you, what we need to give to you, what we need to allow your spirit to come in and refresh in our lives. We know that a healthy graft produces life and produces good fruit. Help us to desire to want that. And help us to know what actions that we need to take this week so that we might graft ourselves into your purposes and your plans and your work that has prevailed through thousands of years since the beginning of time and prevails for all of eternity. God, Romans is a super challenging letter. Help us discern what you would speak to us about that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.